This podcast follows the ordinary stories of entrepreneurs in the financial industry who broke their false beliefs, built companies, lost everything, and yet found the motivation to persevere in their stillest hour. It's May 3rd, and I'm wearing my podcast flannel. We are all set to go for another interview today. We are talking with Mark Dukas of uh, Bitcoin Live. He's an analyst and a contributor there and a trader, uh, along with a number of others. Today, we'll be talking to him about a number of issues, uh, whether he's a Bitcoin maximalist, uh, the current macro environment, why in the world he trade altcoins uh, if he loves Bitcoin so much. And then we'll touch on a few other issues as well. Um, Mark, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. We got a big day today with the FOMC meeting and uh, just pleasure to talk with you. For sure, for sure. So, so let's let's wind back um, because part of the purpose of this podcast is really interested in the stories that get people going and get people started. When I first talked to you, you were getting into Bitcoin um, way back in what, 2014? Yeah, 2014 is when I first started my dollar cost averaging experience okay. and went through that long bear market from 2014 really to 2016 to started to see some positive movements on price action but it was a long journey of 12 to 18 months of just going through the process of understanding and learning about bitcoin and and seeing what it could do and just slowly building a little position yep and were you were you someone who came because you know it was exciting there was a lot of money to be made that sort of thing and then you stayed because you're like wow this is this is really valuable but how did you well, like not everyone goes and dabbles with trading, right? Like, like where did this all start? Like what, what inspired you to, to get here? So I learned about it based on the fundamental properties of what Bitcoin accomplishes, how it could be digital gold 2.0 and some of its fundamental characteristics. And then I started to get into the chart and price action and how when I started to buy it, it was my first buy was at 578 and I bought all the way down to sub 200. And when I started to see really the gains that could happen because of where Bitcoin was, and it had been around now for about five years of existence, you know, three years of having some uh, price action behind it, you know, 2011, Bitcoin did hit a dollar. It took a couple of years to get to that point of view. But when you think it's something going from a dollar to then having the Mt. Gox days of hitting over a thousand and then getting in around five, six hundred. Uh, you know, you can see that there was some potential there in regards to price action. But when I married the chart and seeing that it had gone through booms and busts in previous times in this first five years, and then understanding some of its potential and properties as a store of value and, and unit of currency, then I started to marry those two things together and saw some of the potentials that Bitcoin could provide. Did I think it would go up so far so fast? No, I did not. But I thought over time, by 2025, we would be at 10,000. And, and I had some type of those type of thought process numbers in my head, but gotcha. we went you know, much further, much faster as well. Gotcha. So I think a lot of people get drawn into the space because of the, the quick amount of gains that can be made. Do you think that was you to start? And then it, and then you kind of transition to say, okay, this is really worth, worth something or, or were you more you know, methodological about it? I think I really was honestly a mix of the two. I saw some of the money making potentials, but then I saw some of the characteristics that this 
new unit of internet money could accomplish. I've been a user of PayPal since 1998, 2000, in that range when I started to join the PayPal and eBay revolution. And so yeah. I saw how digital money works. I saw that you know only a certain fraction of the US money supply was in a physical form. And when you think about everything being digital dollars, you think of digital currency as well having a spot and the internet revolution, how it you know came and went from the mid 90s. And then we had the uh, internet boom in early 2000s. And so I, I being younger, I, I think it allowed me to have a little bit more uh, risk tolerance for something like this. But I, I just saw that this was something that we were moving into a, a new age of, of internet money, just like we had advanced in the internet and we had gone through a bunch of different growth cycles. I saw internet money and digital cash, yeah. and the store value of Bitcoin as having those properties of having potential booms and, and busts, of course. You're just never really ready for the bust. Uh, you're ready yeah. for the boom, and, and that's yeah. how Bitcoin works. Yeah, yeah. And so when you started this process and you're thinking about your life, right, you, you can go the, the secure, safe path. You get your income, you work your job, right? And then you said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to try something else. What was the, talk to me about that thought process where you, you diverged from the, the steady, the, the easy, the straightforward. Why, why, why do that? Well, I wanted something more fulfilling. I had worked a corporate job for over 10 years. I had worked at multiple different corporations over the past 15 years. And I had just grown towards wanting to help others understand how to money manage. And managing money is something I'm very good at because I have a background in being a disciplined person. So I think having discipline is really a, a trait, a characteristic trait that could really help many in life, whether it's discipline in your health and nutrition for the fitness of your quality of your body and your life, and or whether it's for the discipline of how to manage your money for whatever income comes in, whether you have a large income coming in, how to manage that so that you can have a nest egg, or whether you have a small income that's coming in and how to really manage that and spread those straws apart in order to best build for the future. There's a few different ways to do things. And obviously it just goes back to the spend less than you make virtue. And right. the more you make, the easier that process becomes. So I've always been a hustler of trying to want to sell things, bring in income and generate cash flow. And so trading alongside working full-time yeah. and mostly investing because when you're working full-time being a trader is hard i don't try and work two full-time jobs when i'm a you know when you're a trader that's a full-time job when you're a in sales yeah. that's a full-time job trying to do two together you're bound to fail at one so i figured i needed to get my backlog of you know, my nest egg built and then i can go into this new endeavor of trading and being full-time into crypto and that's the journey from really 2013 2014 of wanting to leave and starting to understand how to build this next day to 2015 to starting bitcoin smart money leaving the corporate world and going all in on on bitcoin and the cryptocurrency ecosystem it's kind of an irony actually you know you think when you talk to clients it's like well i'm going to educate you maybe on finance or i'm going to educate you on how the market works and that's definitely part of it but so much of it is kind of personality training or how, how do you, how do you, like you said, you're a disciplined person, you use that as your background basically for why you're a good money manager. It's like, how do you get people to that point? And the same for me in, in business and in marketing and that sort of thing. There's often a lot of interpersonal issues that have to be worked through first, but it, I find it to be such an irony. 
I, I think you're right with that. I mean, I used to be a personal trainer as well, and everybody wants the results of having a good physique. And just when yeah. everybody comes into the money management field, everybody wants the good results of having a increasing portfolio and net worth. But there's no real trick to doing it. It's figuring out what characteristic traits you have, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and really harnessing in on, on those things. And, and for me, being risk averse, being disciplined allowed me to focus on Bitcoin only because I didn't get too caught up in the altcoin scene when I first got into Bitcoin. I, the mentors I had really told me to focus on Bitcoin, be Bitcoin centric. And I think that helped me steer clear of getting into things like Namecoin and a ton yeah. of other things that would have taken my Bitcoin stash and decreased it over time. Because yeah. altcoins, what they, they're meant to do is they are meant to take your Bitcoin and your goal is to grow your Bitcoin stash. But altcoins generally bleed your Bitcoin stash dry because mm -hmm. they promise the, the world, they promise the future. And so you get sucked into that narrative. But when you realize that all that can be accomplished most of the time on Bitcoin, it's better to have Bitcoin as your base. And if you're really tempted to go out into the altcoin space, you can do that with a small allocation of your holdings, but yeah. nowhere near what most people when they enter the space are getting into. My recommendation is 10, 20% max into the altcoin space. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because what I've heard from other, you know, Bitcoin maximalists, um, and for, you know, we can define that term in a sec, but why even go out into the altcoin space, right? It, particularly if you don't believe the properties are good, is it just a day trading thing? Like, why would you risk risk that? I remember Michael Saylor once talking about saying, yeah, you can do it if you want, you can trade it, but how do you know that Bitcoin won't just you know, suddenly appreciate and you're kind of left behind? So how do you how do you think through that? So one of the virtues I teach at Bitcoin Live is to be a swing trader with the minority of your coins and a hodler with the majority. And just what that means is if you have a, a nest egg of Bitcoin, you would keep the majority of that in cold storage, locked up. And so you're not in a temptation mode to take that to try to, to make more money. If you just look at Bitcoin's track record over 10 years, it does have pullbacks of 70% or more but over time, and it's done this, I think, five or six times now over the past 10 years, every time it's had a 70% or greater drawback, it's made a new all-time high. And so we've had that 70 to 75% drawback in the 2022 bear market. And now it's kind of that accumulation and building a bottom page and, and that, that pattern unfolding so that the new cycle can be born. And really just allowing that growth to happen in itself has your Bitcoin growing in value over time. But when you drill down and micro analyze the day-to-day -day movement of price action, like I said, if you're not full-time in the space, you'll end up making a bad move because you'll have some type of emotional FOMO, whether it's selling out of fear or buying out of fear because you're just not prepared. And I think that when you get into altcoins, altcoins promise that they're the riches of retirement and 10X gains. But the majority of the time executing on that, if you have even been so lucky to be a part of a 2x, 3x, 5x gain is extremely difficult. It's when that opportunity is in front of you and you've got those gains, can you close that deal and capitalize? Most people get greedy and they think it continue to grow. So if you ever have profit, especially after an initial swing trade that that is supposed to be a shorter period of time, you got to cut some and take some and pay yourself. And I think that just people are not born and bred to be 
following the discipline traits that you need to in order to be a good trader. And those are some of the things that we try and teach at Bitcoin Live. And then I, I do at Bitcoin Smart Money to teach people one on one how how to you know really build those traits into your own character. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the, the personality, back to the discipline point. Yeah, for sure. One question a lot of people are interested in and when you think about Bitcoin is the timing of everything right now. We might you know, from a risk management perspective, argue that timing isn't really something to look at. You know, when will Bitcoin hit $250,000 a coin or half a million dollars a coin? Um, but I'm reminded of a clip on TikTok that I saw Warren Buffett uh, say, which was back uh, in the Roman era. Um, they, they had coins and people would start to chip away at the coins and there was gradual inflation, uh, which happened during that period. And his point was this went on for hundreds of years, the amount of inflation, because people often correlate and they'll say, oh, look at all this inflation that's happening. Surely gold, surely Bitcoin will rise dramatically and become the dominant force. But can you speak to the timing of Bitcoin adoption at all, particularly in the historical context of inflation has gone on for a long time, right? So is there any way that we can gauge the timing of Bitcoin adoption, or shouldn't we even be thinking about that question, really? So ga gauging the timing of, of how Bitcoin is going to be adopted, we'll have we have some economic and, and global uh, criteria really to factor into that. So I think understanding that adoption takes longer than you expect in the long run, but to understand that it just happens in chunks and phases due to what's going on. And you see that the banking crisis of 2023, that helps long-term adoption, but it doesn't happen right up front. So you don't see those results immediately. It starts to trickle in. It's kind of how like inflation can happen and you don't see the price rise immediately when you're at the grocery store. But a few months later, six months, a year later, you will see the price rise of everything from bottled water to a dozen eggs and things like that. Inflation happens over time, just like the adoption of Bitcoin happens over time. Sometimes that adoption curve speeds up when you have crises like what happened in 2023, the banking crisis, 2007, 2008, we had that global recession and that great recession that led to the creation of Bitcoin. And you can start to see these patterns and things that happen every 10 to 15 years. And that's how things speed up and stall out and plateau. And so the cycles aren't necessarily the exact same time wise and needing a certain number of years to happen. It's just how does the world evolve? And as the Internet grows and as more people become online and, and as things like PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, they grow their digital presence, that allows Bitcoin and other cryptos to really validate themselves as having a staying power for this next decade and the next hundred years. Yeah. 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 I think that's the right way to think about it. Um, people get a little too tied into like an exact time period or an exact dollar amount. Um, but if you're in it for the long haul, which, you know, you should be, then it, you know, it will appreciate over time. Um, one of the, the kind of the theme of this podcast called the stillest hour and the, the idea is, is as we go about our entrepreneurial journey, there are times where everything goes wrong <laughs> and you're, you're in the trader's example, they're sitting through drawdown or they're sitting through a lot of uncertainty. And 
the, the question I have for you is there's a couple periods you mentioned where, you, you know, Bitcoin is up around $500 or so, and then you've got all your money there, you're working your side jobs, and then it just, it dumps to a hundred. What, what keeps you in it at that point? Right. And this isn't just a question for a trader. This is for any entrepreneur. If you've ever built a business or you're working on building a business, now you're involved with, you know, Bitcoin live and you've got some more stability, but there's still those moments, right? Where you're like, what am I, you're, you're it's like two or two in the morning, three in the morning. You're like, what am I doing with my life? Right. So, so what, so when, when you went through that drawdown period, what, what kept you going? Like, what were you thinking about? One of the first things is I, I've experienced pain going into my, you know, Bitcoin and crypto foray. So having some pain tolerance going into it was helpful. But also I had understood risk management enough to know that I can't put so much of my family's nest egg into this to where that if it goes down, it's going to be causing me emotional pain. So I look at cash as a, a form of oxygen. So it allows me to breathe. Is it great holding a lot of cash? It really isn't because cash is is built and designed to take from you. And what I mean by that is inflation. So if you have a dollar, it's worth 97 cents next year. You know, you have 8% inflation, that dollar's worth 92. And then you reverse compound it, the dollar loses its value over time. So for me, I believe in having enough cash so that the oxygen is not putting pressure and stress into my life. But I also understand that when you make a trade or investment, that it is the entrance fee in order that you're paying to have a better quality of life. And if that entrance fee that you're paying to get into that fair or that movie doesn't go well and you don't enjoy it, you can walk away. And that's the lesson that you need to learn from that, but you also need to learn how to take that loss. And early on in investing, I didn't know how to take losses on swing trades. And so I would be adding to losers. I'd be holding losers too long. And yeah. when you look at Bitcoin as a hodl mentality, you can, understand that you're going to have these big drawdowns, but you're going to have these big moves higher as well. There's going to be parabolic moves higher, just like we had in 2021 and 2017. You have these big moves higher. We'll, we'll have that again in 2024, 25. We have the halving coming up next May. And so you've got a year of this price action now to unfold until we get to that halving next May. And there's a lot that's gone on with the banking crises and things like that. But I think that having this proper mindset of knowing that you're not going to walk into an investment and make money immediately. And it's not about necessarily having to time this market, but about putting time in the market. Then you can have a, a longer horizon outlook. And that's what the most successful investors do. They're not analyzing themselves and judging themselves on day to day, week to week, quarter to quarter price action. They're judging themselves in years and decades, not that quarters and months type of time frame. So I'm really just trying to give myself a longer time horizon, understanding that the dollar is not worth as much over time and that Bitcoin increases in value over time and then not getting scared because of the FUD, the fear, uncertainty and doubt that's put out there from the banking community, from some of the mass media that's out there. And just having that type of mindset, I think, will help me make it to the 2030, 2040 time frame. Yep. No, I, I like that. I, it's reminds me of what Buffett said again, where he was like, "Why well, I just buy, I buy things and hold them. He's like, why would I sell? Like, why right. it's, about, it's, it's about buying the best quality. You know, you right. buy Apple, you buy Amazon, you buy Bitcoin. And it's right. about re like when you read the best books, when you find a category of books that you like, you don't have to read 
every book within that category. You read the top three or four or five books within that category because that's the stuff that built that category and made it to have its its knowledge base and its validity. And so you you stay with the best, just like when you're learning, you stay with the best. No, it's really true. You put it on your bookshelf and you're going to be like referencing them for the future to come. Um, some really good books I know in marketing, it's the same way they just sit on my desk and I don't think they'll ever leave just because they're they're that good, right? Um, now that's, that's interesting. Uh, let's turn to the macro environment. So we've got a few macro questions for you, which um, I, I'm trying to make them not time, time sensitive. So when this comes out, it'd be more applicable. So there's a couple in general, we'll, we'll talk on, we'll touch on the banking crisis. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the national debt. We'll talk about the Fed, those, those three. Um, so would you explain what fractional banking is, fractional reserve, you know, reserve banking and to the audience? And then also how a couple of these top banks have gotten in trouble and what this means for, you know, banks who may not hold a lot in reserve or smaller banks. So it's kind of like three questions, but first fractional banking, let's start there. And then why have these banks gotten into trouble? Sure. So with fractional banking, essentially, is if I make a deposit at a bank, they can go out and loan out up to 90 percent of that deposit in a creation of a new loan. And essentially, in one sentence, what that does is that takes our dollars and it decreases their value over time because more dollars are being printed. And so there's no real way of accounting for how many dollars are in the system, keeping an even flow to this. And that's why we have we have these hikes, we have these pullbacks of these cuts and, and things like that. So this banking crisis was caused by the aggressive interest rate hikes that the Federal Reserve has put forth. And those those rate hikes led to large losses of portfolios of, of government bonds held by these banks. And, and so it, it created this unprecedented trigger of outflows. And a lot of these banks had liquidity problems and things like that. So the crisis really showed that how interest rates can unmask these vulnerabilities in the banking systems. I mean, you had Silicon Valley, Signature, and First Republic this year going under, and yeah. it's just unprecedented. And when you think about Bitcoin being created in 2008, 2009, and then to fast forward almost the right amount of time for Bitcoin to have been built, have it built a foundation, and this problem that we're going through is exactly what Bitcoin solves. And it's it's just amazing. And so that this is just a new thing that we're going through with how the yield curve is is inverted and how the banking system has unflowed like this. And that's why Bitcoin helps solve that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, agreed. I, um it's interesting because I, I hold some of my money in a, we actually grew up uh, near each other in the Northeast, but I hold some of my money in a small regional New Hampshire bank, right? Cause it's just like, you know, you don't get rid of the account and it's there. Right. As soon as all this stuff's happening with Silicon Valley bank and you know, the larger banks getting bailed out, I'm like, they're not, there's no way they're bailing out my small little regional bank. So what happens is you start shifting and a lot of people are doing this. Now they're shifting money out of the small regional banks putting it into larger banks like JP Morgan Chase. And it's creating this real, um, you know, disincentive for anyone to support a small local bank, which is a real, you know, it's a real shame. But what do you, what do you think about this general idea of the government stepping in, just bailing out a, a sector? Um, do you think that helps in the long run or hurts, hurts us in the long run? 
I think the reason they do it is because there is some some help and some form of sense of giving people a peace of mind. And so there's no real right answer of whether it helps or hurts. I think in the long run, it probably does hurt because you're creating precedent of bailout and and things like that. Uh, But they're trying to focus, I think, their energy on on the the biggest amount of money to save it, save and help. And when you get into something like Bitcoin, you don't even need that worry. Your, your worry is to take care of your family, make yeah. sure you have your, your crypto in a safe place, which means not on an exchange or online. And then really just to build your own cash reserves and just buying a little Bitcoin here and there. And I'm not saying to, to buy a lot to, for people that are uncomfortable with it. I'm saying you're taking by not having a position in bitcoin that's essentially having a position so it creates that diversity that we're so talked about of having the the best way to build a portfolio it gives you that uh, peace of mind that during these crises that bitcoin doesn't doesn't stop it's decentralized meaning it's not controlled by anybody it's not issued you can't just go in there and issue more bitcoins because we need to bail out an exchange that that folded and and so it takes away some of these things that we're used to seeing happen with bailouts 2008 uh, bailouts this year and and moving forward how do do the bailouts happen how do the banks get run do we just have large banks now moving forward Mm -hmm. and and so these are just new times and new waters that we're treading through absolutely um one of the ways i've I've been thinking about it is what percentage chance do you think there is that Bitcoin at some point takes over the monetary system or becomes like you like a widespread digital gold? And if the answer is 2% or 3%, or 5%, right? Why aren't you averaging in, you know, 5% then of your, of your, of your net worth, right? Doesn't that make sense? And I think that's, that's kind of a helpful paradigm um, to think about it in again, risk, you know, making sure you've controlled your risk. Thinking about uh, our national debt, um, one of one of the things people are afraid of, and I think rightfully so, is inflation and inflation increasing in the future. It, it was an interesting stat, but they were they come out with the quarterly amounts that we pay to just service the national debt, and really quickly, like over the next couple of years, it's going to eclipse defense spending. It's 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 big, like it's really big. What do you think about inflation going forward as we continue to have to service this debt? Is there any way for us to pay down our obligations or are we just going to inflate from here? It, it seems like we're going to go through this this cycle of inflation at higher periods, inflation at lower periods. Maybe we don't get it down to the goals that we want, but it seems like we'll be on a, a roller coaster, so to speak. And, and it's one of those things that the the cat's all out of the bag at this point now and then when you look at how great empires have come and gone over periods of time it looks it looks to be that the standing of say the u.s dollar or the british empire and things like that they seem to last about a hundred years in change and the united states empire of of the dollar being the, the mainstay you know it's kind of at that hundred year time frame, give or take. And that could be kind of one of those things that's a cycle of making the way for Bitcoin to be an international unit of reserve. I'm not sure it takes over the number one spot. I like to take things level by level. And, and the first real leveled approach for BTC is to get up to, to gold's market cap. And so it's still a fraction of that. 
And I think it has the chance in, in this next decade to get up to that level and, and be uh, the digital gold 2.0 for the next hundred years because of the properties that it exposes uh, that are better than gold. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And yeah, we've got a ways to go. What is a uh, gold's market cap about 10 trillion, eight, 10 yeah, trillion. Exactly. So it's, it's definitely got a ways to go, uh, yep. but it can get there. And, you know, Bitcoin getting to that $1 trillion market cap is the first step. And that, you know, my uncle taught me the getting to that first million is the hardest, but that doubling process thereafter, it continues to build once you get there. And once Bitcoin gets to that trillion market cap, it'll start to build that as its support uh, of where its market cap builds from one trillion to two. We'll go two to four and then the rest will be history in in going up to gold's market cap in, in the coming decade. Yeah, you do forget how quickly that compound effect is. You know, you even see it in your own life. You see it working out. You see it in business. You know, it's gradually, gradually. And then you wake up one day and you're like, "What? where'd all the gains come from? You know, exactly. but that, yeah, compounding and, and that time in the market. You yeah. know, 2023, I can't believe we're already, you know, going almost into halfway through the year. And I'm in my ninth year of being involved in the Bitcoin and crypto space. It just goes by like that. Yep. No, it's really true. So talk to me about the future of uh, Bitcoin Live, what you're trying to achieve there, um, you know, what you and, and Peter and Bob and uh, the rest are doing there and kind of what, what you want to see going forward. Sure. At Bitcoin Live, we really just provide a service of analyzing the markets and where we see price action going through that analysis. And everybody has a different niche. I'm, I'm the trading algorithm guy. We have an on-chain expert. We have uh, Big Cheds, who's wrote it, who's wrote multiple books uh, about classical charting. You have Peter Brandt, one of the greatest commodity traders of all time, and then you have Bob Lucas, who created the site, who is the four-year cycle uh, creator for Bitcoin and how it runs in four-year cycles. And he's a cycles trader. So we have we cover a vast gamut of uh, different techniques. But one thing we don't do is we're not just a pump and dump service. We provide you the reasons why charts look long or short and then give you that analysis reasoning behind it through a write up as well as through videos. And we come out with over 20 updates a month. And each of us provide just like I said, a different view of the market and how to understand it. And we've been doing this now for we're having our five year anniversary this month. And so it's been just a really uh, great experience going through our second bear market and getting into this next bull market. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, Mark, great to speak to you today. Uh, If you want to go look Mark up, see a little more about what he does, uh, head over to Bitcoin.live. Hopefully we can uh, stay in touch and uh, catch up at some point in the future. Yes, Paul, have a great rest of your week and uh, thanks for having me. All right, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye.